the incomparable. Number 268, October 2015. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. We are here talking about... This is one of our rare episodes. See, people write to me and they say, are you going to talk about this movie that just was in theaters? And I say, no, probably not. We very rarely talk about a movie that's just in theaters because it's hard to get everybody together and have everybody have seen it and still have a conversation while it's still remotely in uh, the, the sphere of movies that people are actually talking about. But we did it this time. So this is an aberration. This isn't a regular feature. Uh, <laughs> but we did just talk, uh, go all go see The Martian, not together. Uh, we saw it sep- we saw them all separately, but now we have come together to talk about The Martian, the major motion picture starring Matt Damon and many, 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 many other people. Uh, let me introduce my fine uh, panel of five guests that I brought uh, here, all of whom have seen The Martian, I really hope. If somebody says they haven't seen The Martian, I'm going to be very disappointed because <laughs> why are you here? Uh, so joining me, Andy Anotko. Hi, Andy. Well, basically, we're all... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well done. Uh, Chip Sutterth is here. Hi, Chip. Mars. I can't believe I'm back on Mars. <laughs> Three times before, this place almost killed me. I swore I'd never give it another chance to finish the job. Humans got no business being here. No business at all. Very nice. That was a Babylon 5 uh, reference, by the way, everybody. Uh, and so then now I'll introduce uh, Chip's, one of Chip's co-hosts from the Audio Guide to Babylon 5 podcast. It's Erica Ensign. Hello. Hello. I, I did watch The Martian, although it's been almost a week now. <gasps> so <laughs> we'll see how much I remember. All right. All right. Well, we'll, we'll test you. Lisa Schmeiser is also with us. Hi, Lisa. We're going to science up out of this podcast. <laughs> we, we've, we very well may. And uh, joining us for the first time on The Incomparable, uh, it's my co-host from the Liftoff podcast, a fortnightly podcast about space things and one of the co-founders of Relay FM. Uh, we did a whole episode about The Martian, but you know what? It wasn't enough. So we're going to talk about it some more. It's Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hey, I've been eating potatoes for a week and a half in preparation, and it's uh, <laughs> have you run out of good. ketchup? Is the question. I did. Have I, you have you progressed to Vicodin? I did. Yeah, I'm really ready to podcast yeah. now. So now that you've had the Vicodin, mm, Vicodin potatoes ease the pain. Mm, That's right. Carbs and narcotics. Before we get started, I want to ask everybody uh, here quick poll: uh, Who has read the book The Martian? Dude, I was on the book podcast. Well, some people don't remember incomparable <laughs> continuity, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> they should. Andy heard the podcast that we did and then read it and extolled the virtues no, no, on no, no, many no. other podcasts, didn't you? Oh, uh, I ex- yeah, exactly. I extolled the podcast. I did not uh, I did read the book completely cold. I did not listen to any podcast. Oh, uh, okay. No spoilers. All I knew truly all I knew about the Martian was the cover had a picture of an astronaut in some sort of an orange background knew nothing else about when it. we went to the movie um, my son uh, we asked him what he thought the movie was about and he said i assume it's about an alien <laughs> let's just uh, see what happens then chip did you read the book i did to the book what i did to harry potter and the sorcerer's stone which is desperately raced to finish it before the movie came out oh okay and did you succeed i did succeed it was a rip roaring read all right erica did you read the book no, but I did listen to the incomparable where you guys talked about the book. <laughs> I like that. It's like you crammed for it. <laughs> I've had the book on my Kindle for a while now. I just haven't. I actually put it off because I decided I wanted to wait to see the movie first and read the book after. Oh, interesting. Okay, uh, that's another way to go. And Stephen, you read the book? 
I did all in uh, in one sitting. Actually, I couldn't couldn't stop. All right. So uh, for people who are wondering, we did talk about the book as we've mentioned. It was episode one eighty seven called "Man versus Mars." We did that back in March of twenty fourteen. It was a while ago now. We were we weren't ahead of the curve on the Martian, but we weren't behind the curve either. Um, so anyway, I, I think we all enjoyed it and would recommend it. It's a fun read. Um, but then then came the the tough challenge of adapting that book into a major motion picture, which is something that uh, that Ridley Scott, the director, and it's Drew Goddard, right, who who was a uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer writer for a while and did Cloverfield, I think. I think Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Well, he's a Joss Whedon collaborator. There are two Drews who worked on Buffy. I can always never keep track of them. But uh, anyway, they they had to adapt this from Andy Weir's uh, novel, and uh, and so they did. And uh, this is the result. Uh, I don't want to turn this into a complete like book versus movie podcast because that's uh, that's a bit much. Although we can go into that a little bit. I know Stephen and I spent. I feel like we 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 did get caught in that on 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 the liftoff episode. We did. We did a lot yeah. of book <laughs> so. to movie comparison stuff. But uh, you know, I so. I've, I've struggled with figuring out where to start the conversation about this story. Um, and I'm going to start it with Matt Damon because he is on screen by himself for a very long time because that's the whole point of this. Now we do see people back on earth who are trying to save him. And we do see him, uh, strand, you know, his, his uh, compatriots in space who, uh, who uh, have left him behind. Uh, but most of the time is spent with Matt Damon. I guess I should say up front here, too, uh, we're going to talk about what's in the movie. So uh, if you don't want to uh, know about what happens in the movie, don't listen to this podcast until you've seen it. And that means I'm firing off the Martian spoiler horn right now. Is the Martian spoiler horn different than the usual spoiler horn? The Martian spoiler uh, horn uh, has to stay inside. Otherwise, it'll die. <laughs> There's like a 13 minute delay between when the spoiler horn is sounded and when it actually reaches Earth. <laughs> right, it Lisa. is a thinner atmosphere. <laughs> yes, because I was about to say. That's right. It takes 13 minutes for the horn to reach Earth. And meanwhile, the, the Earth stands by waiting and hoping. So Matt Damon, who famously had to be found in Saving Private Ryan and uh, was lost in Interstellar, <laughs> is lost again. He's uh, so the, the way this movie starts, he, the way he gets lost. Maybe maybe that's that's a way into this. He scene. just keeps coming back. How, there's a great you know Twitter meme <laughs> He's out not there about the hint. We keep how much money does, places, the, U, does the U.S. government spend trying to find Matt Damon? Um, <laughs> uh, very dramatic opening scene. As Stephen and I talked about on liftoff, um, you know. The Martian atmosphere is very thin. A storm, a, a high wind on Mars would probably not blow a piece of paper around. But a very dramatic beginning to the film, uh, where we see that Matt Damon gets left behind, and and we sort of it's just enough that they're kind of absolved. We don't hate the crew for leaving them behind, but we also kind of understand Jessica Chastain's uh, uh, guilt at feeling like she could have done more because she's the captain uh, to to save him once they especially once they find out that that he actually wasn't dead after all he he was uh, he was alive um, and then you know he wakes up and uh, Matt Damon is alone for a long time wandering around uh, indoors and outdoors on on Mars so starting with Matt Damon what do people what do people think of the of the solo uh, man versus nature aspect of this film because it really that really is what this is at its core is it's about this guy struggling to stay alive you know I was not a Matt Damon fan before I saw this movie I never really have been I would say that I'm not a Matt Damon fan now but I still <laughs> enjoyed him well enough in the movie 
he was just fine. Um, I, I, I haven't read the book, so my only introduction to this character was what I saw on screen. And he seemed perfectly serviceable in the role. I was, I was comfortable watching him, uh, but it, it wasn't the character that drew me in. It was, it was the story and the, the, the jeopardy that this character was in as opposed to, <clears throat> to me liking the character for himself. He had me when he at two moments in this movie. Uh, there's the first moment when he staggers back into the hab and has to uh, stitch himself back or staple himself back together. Oh. Uh, that, really, that wasn't Prometheus level, but still, <laughs> that was that was tough stuff. Mm-hmm. That was tough stuff. And but it also one of the things that made it work for me was in the book. It's all monologue and it's all description, and mm. uh, that is a. He is not performing for anybody. He's not doing a log for anybody. Matt Damon is just performing suffering and determination and all that stuff. And that was that was a great moment. And the second moment that sealed the deal for me was after he blows up the hab and he's sitting down in front mm-hmm. of his camera and he's still smoking. <laughs> and those 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 two moments right there uh, did it for me. The the first person conceit of the Martian is uh, the book is great in the sense that you get the sense of his voice and who he is as a person and he's trying to keep his spirits up but you also get his dark moments but what you don't get is what he's not you know willing to share and you're right Chip one of the advantages of doing this as a movie is that you get to see those things the disadvantage is that it's harder to do that first person narration and we do get a lot of him sort of staring into the camera and leaving and and uh, and his log but um, what what it gets us is those moments where he's unguarded where we're just witnessing the guy he's not narrating his life we're seeing what he lived which is uh, that's an advantage of doing this as a movie as opposed to a book I think yeah that, that's that's what I liked about the first uh, 10 minutes of that uh, because we we see him obviously if he's got his stuff together enough to sit down and think to leave a log behind we're really not seeing him just in that very moment and trying to figure out what the hell's just happened what a great introduction to the character that the i mean the, the fact that he is so well trained and he is so geared towards here's what has to be done that staggers staggers into the hab and without any preamble whatsoever or or even like you know i'm going to i'm going to get ready to do surgery on myself just dives in grabs <laughs> grabs med packs grabs grabs the epipen or whatever starts cutting things starts digging around for a piece of metal that he knows is in there gets it out and gets it done and then after that it's just as you say, Jason, you don't you, in the book, you don't get to see him just numb for 24 hours. Just I've just, just it's sinking in that he is alone on Mars uh, in a hab that's designed to last for about a month uh, for for a few people. Uh, and he then there's no way that he's he can he can survive for four years just on his own, just coming to grips with that. The only thing that I didn't like about the first 10 minutes is that I really was hoping for more scenes of the mission of the group so we can uh, before the the stuff starts happening i would like i would have liked to have learned about what's the relationships between all these people how do they get along with each other i would like to have seen more of matt damon in pre-crisis mode of just you know fun loving uh, mark watney who's who's the cut up of the group and keeps everybody's spirits up uh because it it seems like they're out prospecting for all of like 38 seconds before okay we're all going we're gone nope we're gone we're gone i appreciated that i liked the fact that we didn't have a bunch of uh sort of background stuff on the character i 
I it just felt a lot more immediate and real to me because I wasn't thinking about all of that stuff. It was kind of like how in Gravity they made sure to, you know, to shoehorn in the fact that she has a cute kid back home, which I found kind of annoying. Like it I feel like the character itself being in Jeopardy is enough for me mm. and I didn't want all of that extra stuff. That's what the book's for. Well, I was I was thinking about the abyss where before the, the the adventure part of the movie starts, they show them they they show the crew of Deep Core just doing a day's work, trying to get trying to get, uh, to get some of that or, under underwater oral dark, dark puts put aside. I, I don't. I, you're right. I, I would have been it would have been tedious if we had learned a lot about what his family life was like. What is his, what did his did his cousin make the baseball team and that sort of stuff. But like I said, it's the sort of thing of we're going to have to know about the crew later on when they come back into the movie. And it uh, personally for me, I would have liked it if I had known. If I had a better frame of reference for them yep. before they took off. They, they try to give everybody a moment, but you can tell that it's like literally everybody's going to get a moment and then we're going to kick it in <laughs> gear. And, and it's, this is a two hour and 20 minute movie. So it's not totally surprising that uh, they move it along. But still, but so I can see that, that, you know, you're less invested in the crew before you lose them um, because of that. Um, oh, I wanted to mention another another Matt Damon thing, and I wonder what you what you guys think. There there was a, a a dialogueless scene early in the film where you know you're right. He is he starts in survival mode, and then he sh- and then he has to make the shift to um to uh, problem solving mode. How am I gonna am I gonna get out of this? Can I get out of this? Because at first he's just trying to stay alive. Like literally, can I fix my wounds so that I will stay alive? And then there's the, and it's boy, it's a tough shift to be like, well, now I need to start thinking big picture here. And there's a scene where he's standing in, I believe, the airlock. It's that the round chamber, and he and and we're like close in on his face, and and there's no dialogue. And and you know, if you talk about the scene where I really liked what Matt Damon did in this in this movie, it, it's that scene because I feel like that's the scene where he's deciding deciding, do I want to just open the airlock and die? If I'm gonna die here, I don't want to prolong it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna open the airlock and I'll die and that'll be the end. Um, and he chooses to fight and he chooses to try and work the problem and see if there's some even impossible way for him to get out of this. And I really like that. Um, and like I said, it's not like he's talking about it to himself. He's just literally standing in the airlock um, and he's not hand on the door or anything like that. It's really subtle, but I feel like you, you got to see his struggle of like, what am I going to do now? Am I going to live or am I going to give up? And he chooses to live. And then that sets him off on his course for the rest of the film. I didn't get that. But, but maybe I wasn't paying that close attention. Yeah, it's my interpretation of it. But there, there it, it, you know, that 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 was the way I way I took it is that you know I think he's considering whether he wants to live here or not because he's he's sort of silent and upset and and standing in what I believe is the is the chamber where he could close the door and and uh, and end it all. And they don't make a big deal out of it. But I mean, that is ultimately his decision here: is he do you fight or do you not? Whether whether that scene was intended to mean that or not, you know, he turns and decides he's he's gonna. He's going to use science to work out work out the problem here. Yeah, there are there are also a couple of moments in this movie where he, I wouldn't say he weakens, but he gets really frustrated or upset. There's a couple of moments where he screams the f word silently behind his uh, mm-hmm. class, and one of the criticisms I've seen of this movie, mainly by people who haven't read the book, is they just don't buy how calm and how together. Matt Damon is, or how Mark Watney would be. Nobody would be. He, he's just so implacable, and I don't get mm. that at all from this movie. There are a couple of moments where he breaks. The point of the movie is, of course, the triumph of the the, the triumph of the problem solver. 
But I actually thought that there were a couple of moments that humanized him that Matt Damon brought to it. I thought this movie had some nice continuity with Tom Wolfe's The Right Stuff, mm. which is about the early um, the the book and the movie are about the early science and space program. You know the. Um, uh, Grissom and yeah, the, uh, the the Mercury astronauts, the Mercury right? Dudes, right. The only reason I paid attention to Gus Grissom is because my childhood library was named after him. Mm. So I was like, oh. But um, one of the passages in the book that's indelible that's stayed with me for many years is um, Tom Wolfe goes into the mindset of people who do well in the space program, and they tend to be test pilots. In other words, the type of people who, if the nose of your airplane is on fire and you are hurtling towards the earth at 100 miles an hour, they will calmly, methodically assume that they can get out of it and work every single solution right up to the moment that the nose cone hits the ground at, at a terrifying velocity. Like, these are just not people who ever think of themselves as failing. They always think that, well, I can, I can work the problem. And so that was one thing that I really enjoyed seeing all the way through The Martian is everybody who worked the problem never assumed they couldn't solve it. Yeah. And, yeah. and they may have been rocked back on their heels by setbacks. Like when, when, you know, Oh my gosh, all, the, all of our liquefied supplies are what threw off all of our calculations and, you know, rocket go boom. But the point is, is they, they didn't spend like three weeks and launch a tumbler full of sad pictures over it. They just like went back <laughs> and, began working, <laughs> and began working the problem again. And I really liked that callback to the resilience and tough-mindedness of the very early space program, I thought it put a really. Ni- I thought it was a really nice call out to the history of U.S. space and how there are some things that stay the same, even when we get to the point where we have fantastically well-equipped Martian voyages. When you could talk yeah. about yeah. Uh, Apollo thirteen is a is is another touchstone mm-hmm. along here of a a, a film, and, and so that's a style you want to kind of uh, uh, attach to, but based on a real story about the same thing. And mm-hmm. uh, I was reading a, 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 a I think it was a tweet uh, that led to a post by somebody who was an astronaut in training and uh, she's a scientist because Mark Watney you know he's a botanist he's not a, he's not a uh, an Air Force fighter pilot or something like that but even you know even astronauts who are scientists like have to learn how to fly jets and stuff even if they've never flown before literally you to... get you get inducted into the astronaut training program they're like okay well, we're going to teach you how to fly jets now yep. and I also want to put out that botanists <laughs> are kind of the fearless badasses of the science world right Let's hear from the, no, these, this. The, no, because these are the guys who um, will do things like head into war zones to save plant stocks under the theory that eventually someone's going to have to replant. Mm. And there are some plants that are so exquisitely suited to their habitat. It is a service to humanity to go rescue these plants and keep them safe. Like there are in the annals of war over the 20th century alone, there was an entire team of Soviet scientists that starved to death in the interest of keeping the Soviet Union's potato rice and peanut stocks safe for rebuilding. And there was another case fairly recently where there was a scientist who managed to rescue like lemons somewhere in the Middle East, like this really rare strain. The point is, is that botanists are pretty much like fearless anyway. We know that those potatoes come in handy. They're important. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, botanists are to be feared. <laughs> Stephen, what do you think of uh, uh, Matt Damon and, and Mark Watney and his sort of solo performance here for most, most of the movie? I, I think he does a good job. You know, in the, uh, in the book, you because so much of the book is done as log entries, you sort of have to infer some of his, his emotions kind of on top of what he's saying. But in the movie, of course we get to see him, right? We get to see, like you said, that moment in the airlock, you get to see the resolve pass over his face or uh, the look of, of, you know, he suddenly understands or comes to a conclusion. And I think, I think Matt Damon pulls it off. I think that he's a very believable character. um, And just uh, like we were saying about the right stuff, those, those, 
astronauts, you know, from from the sixties and seventies is guys who had that steely resolve and you get that, uh, or I get that from, from watching Matt Damon walk around, uh, and, and do stuff. And I think it's, um, you know, I think I, I was not prepared for the sort of the, the emotional side of the, of the book to really be fleshed out in the movie, but I think he does a really good job at it. I think the difference would be since he's, he's, you know, essentially a civilian scientist. I don't know in the backstory if he if he's purely a civilian or not. But essentially, he's a he's he's a regular guy who then is trained and he is an astronaut. Um, but uh, you get the steely resolve. But the difference, and this is what makes this a 2015 movie and not a 1980 movie, is you know we see him being wacky and playing the disco music and making you know jokes with his his uh his uh crewmates hey. b- before and after right and the go oh, the the oh this 170s tv callback that that would that survived that was uh that was excellent um but it doesn't change the steely resolve underneath right that's all still there he's still working the problem but he's there for an extended period of time unlike apollo 13 where they did it all in a day of or, you know or a few days of of working the problem he's got months and so we also get to see him kind of uh his other his other aspects but the steely resolve is never not there right i think i think it's uh you can see the transition where you do have those first couple days where he he, i don't think gets into despair but he's basically very much in this uh, very much abstracting his situation before he goes back into engineering uh like just you know just like you said earlier it's uh uh these people are trained to be able to to not see I the, the line the line that I remember from uh, one astronaut uh, I think an Apollo astronaut saying the difference between a test pilot and a normal pilot is that if you're if, if both pilots know that they've got 12 seconds before they crash the test pilot will say well I got 12 seconds I bet I can fix this uh, and so it seems as though what was going to keep him alive, even if he was going to die 90 days, even if he wasn't going to be able to stretch his food supply, is that now he's got this new project to work on, which is to figure out what he can do today to extend his life another day. And you, he has that sort of personality that lets him take that as his as his new raison d'etre. It, that's that's what he's doing now. It's if he didn't have that sort of distraction, if he if it was if it were a different situation where he had to wait for rescue, maybe he would have blown the airlock. Hmm. Yeah, if he didn't have the distraction of a completely hostile environment and a severe lack of food and having to generate your own water and and wait and and then like head halfway across the planet to uh, get shot off in a convertible, I can see where you might fall into despair and boredom. <laughs> yeah, I think I like I like Mark Watney the character because of the choices that he makes and what he does and and sort of the things that he says. So I think the the writing of the book and also the writing of the screenplay are what, what drew me in it, it. It's just that it has, you know, we keep mentioning Matt Damon, it has nothing to do with that performance yeah. that, that drew me in. <laughs> Let me take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this week's episode. It's Tales Untold. You know, there are lots of videos and apps designed for kids that are bad <laughs> just bad they have bad characters they're annoying there's terrible music a lot of advertising they're just uh it's unpleasant it can be hard to be a parent trying to find good stuff for your kid and then there is tales untold tales untold is an app it features original episodic audio stories for young children that is right podcasts for kids and they won't make 
the ears of the parents bleed. There aren't squeaky voices and annoying characters. There are no ads, so you can feel good about letting your kids listen. Every tale is organized into episodes and seasons like a TV show. There are new seasons and brand new tales added regularly. The brand new season two of Radbert is now available just in time for Halloween. I love Radbert. He's a monster, but he's terrible at being terrible. He tries and tries. The season two plot, where do little monsters go to learn the ins and outs of how to be scary for Halloween? Camp Swampanomi, of course, goes without saying, really. Uh, Tales Untold app is free. Comes loaded with the first episode of every tale. Give them all a listen. If you find one you like, you go to the parent zone inside the app and you can buy a full season of 10 episodes for just $2.99. So learn more and check out the free episodes by going to talesuntold.com slash incomparable. That's talesuntold.com slash incomparable. And thank you to Tales Untold for sponsoring The Incomparable. I have been racking my brains trying to figure out if there's like a nerdier A-lister they could have used instead of Matt Damon, because it was a fine performance. And at one point, I leaned over and whispered to Phil, all right, this is the Oscar clip. And I'm fairly <laughs> sure he's going to get nominated this year. Sure. Um, I, think, well, I, I think I think you got it. You've got an A-list uh, actor. You've got who's, an A-list guy who basically carries in, a movie. In a hit movie. And he's almost entirely just alone in it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, he's a shoe in for the nomination. And then he just needs but, that yeah. Oscar, the Oscar clip where he's crying and he's emoting. And he's like, oh, I never learned to read like a Wayne's or, World. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was my, my complaint when he was cast um, was, can he play convincingly nerdy enough? Because the Watney in the book is somebody who is, you know, nerd first, astronaut second. He is an astronaut. Really? Yeah, no, the oh, Watney totally. the book is like yeah. a serious nerd. And, I did um, not get that from the screen at all. Yeah. No, and the, that's the thing is I've been, and I thought, okay, well, this is actually a casting challenge because A-listers don't become A-listers since they master the nerd genre. So, like, I just keep thinking, well, we probably dodged a bullet in that it wasn't Ben Affleck cast in this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I thought that the, the, Oceans, the Oceans movies put him in that sort of because he's because he's next to uh, uh george clooney and brad and pitt clooney, he really yeah. ha- he is the nerd of that trio so that's <laughs> yeah, a but good anybody point. is the nerd good of a point. trio that includes brad pitt and george clooney it's impossible <laughs> not to be the nerd of like the only person who would lower. not be a nerd in that trio would be the rock well he's a nerd but he <laughs> but he is an astronaut nerd right now i think that's the challenge is not only you know not that nerds can't be astronauts, but I think that they're they're obviously they're not just nerds because they have all of the whatever it is the right stuff. Let's say yeah. to to be astronauts, <laughs> um, and also there is that type that you know it's typecasting in a way too, which is you want this is this movie needs a lead who can hold it down and who can be heroic and yet gives you at least a a, a taste of the fact. I mean, I I believe that he is really legitimately uh, excited about growing his his poop potato space potatoes and all of the stuff that he does and that he knows that stuff. I never, I never was like, come on, this guy doesn't understand stuff like that. I I doesn't even know what salad is, but he is not, you know, it's, it's uh, there, there are, there are limits and I think there are limits to, to when you're making a movie like this. Yeah. I did not have an image in my head of Mark Watney when I read the book, when I reread it, I will probably see Matt Damon. Um, and, you know, and, and, and then, and I think that that says something uh, either about my lack of imagination or the fact that, uh, you know, he didn't do anything to screw up the character in my head. That's a, that's actually kind of a ringing endorsement. He didn't screw up the character in my head (laughs) with, no, it is. Yeah. Cause I actually have one casting quibble, which is, um, 
I can't remember her first name, but her last name is Park. Yeah. Mindy Park. Mindy Park. And I was like, I leaned over to the, because my, my local nerd posse went, we all got together and went. It was very exciting because we had no children with us. And um, I leaned over to my friend Lauren. I was like, I totally thought she was Korean. Mm-hmm. And Lauren's like, I know, I did too. And so I was like, like kudos for for keeping her as Mindy Park and not making her Mark Park or Martin Park or something like that. Like hooray, we we you know we didn't lose a woman. But at the same time, I I can't be the only person who who read the name Mindy Park and instantly you know thought okay, Korean scientist totally plausible. Yeah, and and I don't know why you wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I don't know why I was I was taken aback when I saw that. I was like, really, blonde girl is Mindy mm-hmm. Park? Really? Maybe she's adopted like Scott Fujita. I mean, <laughs> that's a long way to go. <laughs> That is a really long that's a way to long, walk that's a long that way. One. I was disappointed with that. I, I, I've heard from some people who were disappointed that the um, that the uh, Indian character is played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, who who the story the story is they actually cast an Indian actor who apparently um, I, I think maybe because the shooting got delayed. It's unclear in my in my recollection of this, but basically he he got pulled off of it at the last minute because he had to go do a giant Bollywood spectacular. But he was going to be that character, and they they and it, with a couple of weeks ago they had to cast somebody, and they cast. She would tell a Geo for as an emergency casting choice. That's pretty awesome. But as a result, yeah. there's a line in there where he says that his mother was a Baptist and his and his uh, his father is a Hindu. But and I um, think his name changes to Vincent instead of Vincat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Vincent, I just kind of imagine that they met in school and his mother was like of the Southern Baptist church, right. and, and so I backfilled <laughs> in that story too, where I'm like, oh, clearly he was her TA. They met. They, they had kids. It was. But that know. was you know. So we we have two seemingly you know these could have been Asian actors that they ended up neither of them being. That. Yeah, but uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Speaking of casting, oh uh, my god, so good! That guy's so really good. good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Having so come good. in, not having read the book, I didn't know any of that, so I had no pre- preconceptions, uh, and I just found myself going, "Hey, there's a lot of ladies on the screen. Hey, mm-hmm. there's yeah. a black guy in a position of power. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm liking this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Donald Glover's in this, and he is a gigantic nerd. There's I was also nerd. very startled that Sean Bean was somehow not decapitated at any point during the film because I'm sort of conditioned to have him get killed in anything he's in. I was like, he made it alive to the end of the film. Sean Bean gets to participate in a Lord of the Rings joke in the middle that of was, the march. Yes, maybe my that favorite the part of the whole movie. <laughs> That's in the book, and they were going to take it out of the movie, and they decided, uh, they, they, the, uh, the, the executives wanted to take it out, and then somebody was like, no, 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 that's funny, leave it in. And it is, it, yeah. the whole, my whole audience mm-hmm. laughed when, yep. when yeah, they made no, that joke. Especially when the, Je- when the Jeff Daniels character, like, you know, startles them all by being completely fluent in Tokyo as well. That was great. It was a really nice humanizing moment for him, too. Glorfindel, baby. I, I feel like the Jeff Daniels character. So this is a movie with no this is a movie with no villains, per se. Jeff Daniels is is antagonistic in a few cases. Um but uh, and I actually think this movie is uh, has a lot of the rough edges sanded off of it from the book because I think the Absolutely. people at NASA are yeah. much more unpleasant in the book than they are in the movie where it's much more like go team let's do it but the Jeff Daniels role it's kind of thankless because he is the bureaucrat and you do get the sense that he's doing things not because he's a bad guy but because he knows the wider political ramifications that most people don't have to understand and he just kind of has to deal with that um, but at the same time it is a it is a kind of thankless role and it is kind of a stock role. I, I was think I was reminded of like Tom Skerritt in Contact, right? It is that same kind of like I'm the administrator, I'm the bureaucrat, I'm the politician. But uh, I thought Daniels did a did a, a fine job, and then that allows everybody else to not be Jeff Daniels in that point and kind of bounce <laughs> off of him and be like, "No, we're going to save him, man!" And and yeah. and that that yeah. was that that was all good. That worked. 
I definitely had a moment, uh, I think the first time that he's at the podium and he's speaking, I'm like, wait, is this the newsroom? Like, I just had a flood of, <laughs> of memory from that show. It's the plexiglass just, podium that does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I guess so. But, you know, he's like in a suit and he's talking to me and I just wanted to listen to him all day. I really liked the second press conference where some reporter shouts out, are you going to quit? And he's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. It was just such a great no. And Kristen Wiig as the mortified PR person is like, you, you, nobody should be saying the things that they're saying right now. In the now. CJ Clegg role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like the scene between um, Jeff Daniels and Sean Bean um, after Sean has given up the, um, the has given up the secret and the Hermes has made its course correction. Uh, that's a scene that's not in the book that uh, works really well. Um, I work in I, I work in government, local government, so you know I, I I see a lot of these types all the time. I work in public information, so um, the uh, I thought <laughs> you're the, like Kristen uh, Wiig. You're sitting on the side going, "Oh my God, what is happening right now?" <laughs> the, the, the Kristen Wiig character is definitely toned down from the book. Um, oh, yeah. I have seen I, I, I have seen both I have seen both movie Kristen Wiig and book Kristen Wiig, um, and, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, it, there is a spectrum there. Um, but the but the book and the movie in their own way uh, do a pretty good job of what this NASA culture is going to be like and what this governmental culture is like and how the tech and the politics don't mix all that well. Um, and it, it, it comes off pretty well, I think. Yeah, I think one of the signature differences between the book and the movie is that I mean, getting back to Jeff Daniels' role, which seems to be setting up him up more like a villain in yeah. the book. In the movie, the difference is that with almost all of these characters, you have actors who are much, much better than the actors that uh, Andy Weir has in the book. Uh, they can really perform a lot better than the dialogue that they're given in the book. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's well, – I it, hate the people in the book. I hate – I think it's the worst thing in the book is the NASA stuff because I hate almost well, no, no, everybody just, well, in it. It's not just – well, it's, it's, not just, it's not the NASA stuff. It is the characterization. He is very, very – anywhere in this book is very, very weak on painting uh, believable characters. You're right. Uh, Watney, Watney is, the, is, the, is the, the exception because he's got the, he's got the entire floor. But I, I really compare – I really had to think back to uh, The Hunt for Red October, which is also exciting book. Loved it. I reread it once in, every once in a while. But mm-hmm. you know that at this point, th- this, this author, uh, Tom Clancy, is not real – is more at home explaining how a radar – our system works mm-hmm. than on why somebody how someone drinks a cup of coffee in the book in, in the book in the martian everybody drinks coffee the most dramatic and direct and punchy way available whereas an actor just simply sips the coffee in a way that makes you understand how cool they can be in any situation what i want to ask everybody else about is the um, epilogue that they do which is completely original to the movie and was not at all in the book <laughs> and how they do the where are they now montage and i was very curious as to everybody else's reactions to it I thought it was great. I, it was it was something that I thought was missing from the end of the book uh, because I I thought it, I thought it was way too abrupt. I didn't think it was the best. I, I, I don't think that's it was the best way to articulate that sort of an ending. But I appreciated that it was there. Once in a while, I actually like the Neil Stevenson moment where he drops the pin and walks away um, right right after with no Dane on my. Once in a while, I actually like that. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. 
I found myself wondering, how the heck is this going to end? Because, you know, I, I was pretty sure he was going to get off of Mars. Uh, and then once <laughs> once they rescue him and, you know, I'm like, OK, so he's going to fly home. He's going to get home. I, I kept thinking, how are they going to end this? I mean, it, they could just stop and roll credits. And I felt like that would be very emotionally unsatisfying. So I, I wasn't sure where they were going to go. I was very happy with that as the end. I mean, there may have been other ways that it could have also happened that I would have been perfect happy with but I've always kind of been a sucker for the you know the little the buttons telling you you know and where are they now the animal thing, house so. ending yeah so I, the American I was, graffiti ending yeah Senator <laughs> Mrs. Blutarski went on to the next Mars mission so I was completely happy with that and I was glad that they did something else and I'm I, I guess that's a lot of the things that you guys have been saying about the book as compared to the movie have made me more and more interested to to read the book but knowing that there's not this at the end of it kind of makes me go hmm this is that's the one negative so far. Yeah, I mean, it is it is kind of nice to see see where they end up. I think depending on the version of the book that you read, I've got an email from a, a guy. Uh, I think who, on the, on his website when he did that version, it has an ending with him back on Earth that they mm-hmm. took yeah. out. Oh, but it's it's very brief. It's just him sitting on a bench and he has like one interaction. Um, uh, the the really the part of the epilogue I really don't care for is Professor Watney, where he's he's teaching like future astronauts and uh, it's an excuse to get him into a world back into the world and you see that he's famous right and that that uh, he is using his experience to teach others and that's nice but i just that scene just really didn't sit well with me i didn't like that scene at all um what would you rather have nick do because i uh, mark do because i've been thinking about that too since having him back in teaching astronauts also didn't sit well with me but i can't answer the question what i think well, he should have been doing instead well lisa I, I i think that that scene shouldn't be in the movie and so no. i'm gonna i'm gonna be contrary here <laughs> i think first off i think the scene where he's teaching the the astronauts is dumb because and and i know that this just hit me wrong and everybody can go back when this is on dvd you know you know everybody can go back and look but it's like there it's a weirdest dressed astronaut class it's like look you it's first day of astronaut training kids. and you're wearing it's a hoodie kid. it's like it's astro- astronaut camp it's like astronaut camp it's like astronaut freshman astronaut 101 or something i don't know what's <laughs> going on with that but but here's maybe the thing. it's advanced placement astronaut from high school yeah. I, I think the reason that they do this scene is because they want to put a bow on it and they want to say oh look at all those lessons the lesson we learned here is that as an astronaut you need to be prepared and not give up and face adversity and you use your wits and intelligence and you can do it and you can survive and i'm living proof it's like yeah you know what i saw the movie I learned all of that. The, high, the, of the emotional <laughs> high point is when he's reunited with his crew. They're going to go back to Earth and be fine. The end. And then after that, I would like to Hashtag see... Hashtag Team Jason. I, I would like to see nothing but the credits. <laughs> I, I really like the credits where they're watching the next mission go and we see where everybody is when the yes. next mission goes. I like that. Yeah. I think that's fun yeah. and nice. I just didn't need to see Mark Watney on Earth. We, we, we've we learned the lesson of Mark Watney. We don't need them to put a put a bow on it and restate everything we've just seen. So that's my okay. feeling about it. I should point out that the thing that I liked the most was actually the where are we now bits. The, the part with him being a, an astronaut teacher, um, I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other but i would have been perfectly fine without that as long as i got some hoodies after he was rescued what's the deal with the hoodies i know okay no, they're even, even they're so warm. it's cold in there you, you reminded me of something that that really bothered me um about uh, about watney and the relationship with the crew i really thought that uh he he has at this point he has not heard another human voice and has it been like a year a year mm-hmm. and a half. Yeah. I like the the first time that he actually they actually get radio working and he hears another human voice. He hears the voices of his crewmates. 
they're they're, they're bantering. They're having fun. We that's, missed, I, and we that, missed that's that moment. We missed the first moment where they hear each other. It's yeah, just not they, in they the should, movie. And there, and there should and there should have been. I, I, I guess I was expecting just a little bit of a tear of relief. To see, like, if, if there's a tiny complaint is that you don't see the weight of the stress that he's under uh, by trying to survive day after day and coming up with these solutions. And if you had that one moment of I'm for 10 seconds, there is no camera on me inside this vehicle. I can just not break down, but my voice is fine. But no one will see me holding, cupping my hands in front of my eyes to keep the water from, like, just, you know, getting into my microphone. I have a few other things I wanted to I wanted to mention. Um I want to ask about uh, really quickly about the tech in this movie, just because we're sort of tech savvy people. And um, I enjoyed that. And I was wondering what you all thought. We we see them. We see him watching watching videos and doing a log. And and there's the the kind of uh, the white room, you know, hab that he's in. uh, And there's the rovers. And there's just there's a bunch of of, of future near future ish NASA tech that they create for the film. Um, And I just it was it was a nice bit of art direction. I think they did. I think they did a good job. But I'm interested if you have any thoughts about I was wondering, does he did he upload those logs to NASA at some point? Like, how did they get from how did they get from Mars to Earth? What is the point of them? The logs, I I assume they're just sitting on the planet. And I I actually, when we got him out of the theater, I said to Lauren, I said, I hope the next mission goes and gets the hard drives and brings his logs back. How are you? How else are you supposed to know how to survive on Mars? Therefore, they need to have Watney's whole, you know, poop potatoes one on one primer going. But he didn't have enough (laughs) bandwidth to to send video files, so I assume they're just sitting in the in that hab, just sort of sitting there waiting for yeah. a future mm-hmm. generations. I mean, he does at the beginning of the movie say, I'm recording this just in case somebody ever comes and gets it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that was a powerful thing, both the book and the movie. I, I kept thinking about that. Uh, it, I, I, felt, I felt as though it's like that, that was part of his reason for continuing to go on beyond you know wanting to live, knowing that if he dies... At some point in the future, they will come back and they won't see somebody wrapped in a wrapped in a blanket who just sort of gave up and decided to starve to death. You would see he worked and he worked and he worked, and if not for the fact that this piece of fabric that was not designed to hold pressure for more than 60 days finally blew out after a year and he died and asphyxiated, that was a better way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back to the just the general technology of it, I mean, it feels like future history to me, not science fiction. Um, everything feels recognizable today. I, I I don't know how many years it's going to take for us to get to the level of technology that's going to be able to put together a Hermes and three Ares missions and things like that. But the the technology and more importantly, I think the clothing and the fashion and the 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 Times Square scenes and all that stuff, it feels like today. And um, I think that that really works for this movie. I think if it had looked too Star Trek-y, then uh, if they'd done too much work trying to extrapolate uh, what our smartphones were going to look like, then it would have thrown us completely out of the movie. And it's not about us. Then St- Stephen and I have talked on Liftoff about this a couple of times. That you know, NASA uses old tech, so using stuff that feels like our tech today is probably accurate because 15 years <laughs> yep. from now or 20 years from now on Mars, they're not going to be using tech from 2035. They're going to be using like 2015 tech because they're, they're they always tested. it's always yeah super tested and radiation hard hardened and old. And so the Pathfinder guys had CRT monitors. Yeah, that was okay. I was gonna I was going to mention i assume that they just keep all their hardware in a box somewhere yeah. in case just for yeah. for history and then they're like oh we'll pull it all out because they have the crt monitors i loved that yeah if we if we got a vcr out of storage we'd probably be also plug pulling a a, a composite monitor out there too 
I, I like the I like certain things like uh, when he's uh, pulling out uh, all of the other crewmate stuff uh, in the hab. They come up with this real like a, a Panasonic like grid laptop. That's the, the, the kind that you can like drop and bury right. in sand mm-hmm. and then dig up again because that's it might, the, that's the, what the, you bring first, to another planet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You you want yeah. something that just can take crap and keep on going yeah i have a friend who designs hardware for the military and he's like dude we are never going to have teeny tiny phones for for the army it's not going to happen it's not feasible it's not physically feasible yeah Yeah, i'm not a techie person so most of that didn't even really catch my eye but the one thing that i did notice was his spacesuit well all of their spacesuits and you know all of my knowledge about spacesuits comes from space movies but uh, i felt like this looked enough like what i was expecting from a spacesuit that it 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 did wasn't jarring but it had enough sort of tweaks and you know it talked to him in his in his helmet and it, it was just futuristic enough to not feel wrong but it wasn't so far off that i was like ooh shiny zoomy space stuff i got kind of distracted by this the sheer amount of stuff that everybody left behind on that planet and i realized that's the nature of space missions when you have to blast off in the middle of a storm and everything and it's super convenient because you know nick was why do i keep calling him nick his name is mark mark was able to um you know construct a life until the hab blew out and all that but after a while i'm like okay so he's got this 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 cool rolly thing that's got a crane attached to it and there's the there's this ma- ma- army of minor robots that he's got going on, and I, I found myself you know kind of wondering a what is the price tag and b do you think they're sad about leaving it behind? Well, when he goes and finds the Pathfinder, um, yeah. right? He's just like it's it's just you know it's there. I mean, they drop the heat shield, they drop the parachute, and it's all just you know we're littering Mars. That's part of the deal. Eventually, yeah. we're going to have to you know eventually clean we'll clean it up. It like- but Erica, I, one of the things that you mentioned the p- spacesuit. One of the things I like about this, and this goes for the movie as a whole, is this is a space movie, but it's a planet movie and mm-hmm. and I like that because he's not wearing a a vacuum suit. He's wearing a spacesuit, but he's you know right. he's got gravity, and yeah. there is an- atmosphere, atmosphere, and it's not quite so he doesn't have to be a big blown up kind of like you know one man spaceship kind of thing like a like a space spacesuit, a vacuum. No, he's suit basically dressed for Everest, not for the vacuum yeah. of space. And that also yeah. because and 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 so although space can be portrayed beautifully in in movies, and we've seen it in Gravity for uh, for example, it's it's nice that that he not only are we faking other than on the Hermes, we're not faking uh, zero gravity. We We've got gravity because we're on Mars and we've got vistas. We've got dirt and we've got hills and we've got mountains. And that's a, and Mars is a character. And right. And Mars is a character in the movie too. And I think that that's another thing that makes it uh, a great movie. An an astronaut coming to consciousness, half buried in sand and pulling himself out of a Martian sand dune. Yeah. That is a strong. That's pretty good. The storms in the sky. (laughs) I loved seeing, I loved seeing how fast the clouds kept moving overhead and because it made the sky look subtly alien. And I love the storms. And Steve Lutz would remind me that's a Martian haboob. So the (laughs) one thing that I'm a little bit distracted by is, you know, the whole reason the potato farm goes kaput is because, of course, it gets flash frozen and all the bacteria get killed. And so he pulls up his potatoes and he runs away. And I found myself wondering, what is this? What what are those potatoes going to look like if there's no organic bacteria or um, microflora to to break them down? Like, is the next mission going to come back and find them basically in the same condition? I'm super curious about that. It's all freeze dry. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The, the, next, the next person to get lost on Mars will remember. Wait a minute, but those they, they should be still cold, so they still they still should be edible protein in there. All I've got to do is get the sand off of it. 
funnily enough, that came up in the focus grouping on this movie. And he can use them as fertilizer when he p- yes. grows his own potatoes. You won't have so. to poop so much. That's great. No, exactly. You, 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 asked, you, you asked about technology, and the only, I wanted, before we get off, I want to make I want to say the one thing that kind of got me um, the uh, the the. Uh, the Starliners, I can't, I can't remember the name. The the the, the spacecraft that get, that goes from the Earth to the Mars and the back. Hermes. Hermes. The Hermes, Hermes. Thank mm-hmm. you. That goes. I kept I kept wanting to say Ares. Uh, that uh, that uh, kept gets reused for mission after mission after mission. The only thing that's the only thing that kind of make me hiccup a little bit was that inside it was so uncluttered and so <laughs> clean. I I was I was rationalizing it by saying, well, this is kind of like a Starliner where they have to live for like a year and a half. So maybe they would say it's worth it for simply the psychology of the crew to have some relaxation spaces where they don't have to keep moving past like pallets of stuff and and loose cables and stuff like that. But it's weird and after seeing Andy, they had after, a German seeing, on board, so it was going to be clean and orderly no matter what. I've got some great <laughs> headcanon for this. People have spoken. That's it. Um, and Stephen's heard it before because I did mention this on liftoff too. Because we brought up this same point, Andy. Um, here's my headcanon on this, which is, you know, open space is not expensive to get to space. It's full of it. What's expensive is mass. So if they assembled the Hermes in orbit and it came in pieces and they stuck them together, you know, the actual like inside space. Uh, and, and in fact, a lot of people talk about doing things that are inflatable spaces in, in, in outer space. So it, it, it gave me a little bit of pause. But I think once you're building a structure so large that you have to assemble it in orbit, some of the rules of getting it to fit in a rocket container go away and so that was my that was that was my headcanon at least about this was saying well you know they, they put it together in space and so they put it in the shells and they like assembled it and in the end they got all they had to fly into space were the outside parts but then the inside part is nice and big and yeah. pleasant headcanon accepted also it would be really awful yeah i mean it never goes back into earth orbit right i'm assuming there's a shuttle that brings it back it, I'm assuming it sounds a shuttle that brings i it think back. Yeah. so so i looked it up so in andy weir's book and it's kind of implied in the movie this is one of the nice things where i think they never violate rules they just don't show you the things so like if you look for them you can see them so it sounds like the hermes stays in orbit around earth yeah. and they and the Ares crew transfer on and off but the hermes just stays there and then they use it again for the next mission so when they launch the crew into orbit they go dock with the hermes and they they fueled the hermes and then the hermes goes to mars and, that's, and then they tell the crew they'll lose and their that's clean deposit the, if they don't keep it clean exactly and that's the reason <laughs> exactly well they send the cleaners up there the cleaner astronauts yeah, um, they, have, they have to use that putty to put up any posters so there are no holes in the Walls. So exactly. we're talking about the Hermes, and, and I think it's beautiful. <laughs> I really, I really like the rotating section and the fact that they've got the the parts that, that, that have got gravity, and they've got a treadmill, and you can see you can see out the windows that it's those parts are rotating. I think that's really nice. We should probably also talk about the crew because we haven't yeah. talked about them yet. And that's the third mm. portion of this movie is the crew that has left Mark behind and is on the long ride home to Earth, where they are mourning their their crewmate, and then they find out that it's it's like worse which is mm-hmm. he didn't die and they <laughs> abandoned him on mars and then they have to deal with that and uh and in, in the end they they have to they have their own heroic arc that leads to a point at the end of the movie where they're the ones who are the actors and mark is passive and they have to save him and uh, you except know. that the movie takes a veer towards the end and mark becomes active again yeah, yeah. It's, true. Like it's, that. it's true it's true and, and we could we could we could we could get to that at the end but um but uh if you've got thoughts about the the hermes crew i think now's a good time steve I think I think they do a good job with the crew and and going back oh, uh, something Andy said earlier about you know we don't see a lot of the crew's interaction before uh, the storm and they have to abort the mission but we do see bits of it but mostly through Watney's eyes right? so we see 
his relationship with the crew through the way that he interacts with what they leave behind, which I think is, is, is pretty nice, but they get, once the crew kind of get screen time again and, and they're, they're given the news and we start to see them, uh, figure out what to do. And then they decide to, to follow, um, uh, Donald Glover's crazy, uh, jpeg directions that he sends yeah <laughs> uh i think they do a, a very convincing job that is a very tight-knit group and i think they, they do it convincingly pretty quickly um i think one of the most uh powerful scenes in the film is you know they're sitting around talking and they say you know well um you know well you know we 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 all decided to to come right we all left him and and the commander's like no you are following orders i decided to leave right. him and and that i think you know, sort of her will is bent towards saving him because of that, uh, because of that guilt and because of that, that knowledge that, you know, ultimately it was her call. And even though it was the right call at the time, it turned out to be, uh, turned out to be wrong. And uh, I like that, that, that drive that puts in her. And again, going back to the real stuff, I think that's a drive that like anyone with that sort of, uh, makeup of personality and determination, uh, would, would fall in line with. I think the actors did the best they could with some thin material. I mean, it, it, they're not terribly well sketched out in the books. And um, so, you know, Kate Mara and Sebastian Stan and uh, Michael Pena, was that it? Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, the German the dude German whose guy. name... Yeah. <laughs> the German guy. But, you know, you basically... Hans Gruber. Like, they, like, they basically didn't have a whole lot to work with. But, you know, Kate Mara, bless her heart, like, really managed to pull off somebody who, deep down, is super secretly nerdy. And um, you can tell she's kind of nervous about the prospect of, like, basically breaking the NASA ships and hacking all sorts of things. But she's going to go, like, swallow her misgivings and do it. And I also like that she also managed to convey that she's pretty much a, a, a very introverted and person needs a lot of privacy because the, when, when the German astronaut comes in, he's like, I'm really sorry I'm interrupting your private time. I wouldn't do this at all. And it's pretty evident that this is, you know, sort of a continuation of a previous previously negotiated boundary, like not in a hostile way, but like they just know to leave her alone when she's when she's running or whatever. So I liked that the actors did the best they could with what they had. Um, I still feel like it was a little bit thin, like, you know, all that we know about the commander is that she feels very guilty about leaving Watney behind, um, and that she really loves disco. <laughs> uh, by the way, the German, kind of the, the German dude is Norwegian, although oh, he's Norwegian. playing a German, and it's Excuse Axel, me. Axel is his name. Sorry, Axel, Axel Henny. We, Well, we... Axel Henny, you were fantastic, and I love that your character had a billion children. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that he spent all his time blowing bubbles for them. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that the the mistake that she made wasn't leaving him behind because I think the case could be made that if he had if she had not decided okay we got to go the thing would have tipped over they would have lost yeah. their ride back to back to Hermes and they would all the, have been stuck there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like they did everything right as a, as a viewer. I was I was on their side and I felt like they um, they shouldn't have felt as bad as they did yeah, because exactly. you know yeah. Matt Damon's character he he says you know not their fault. I, I feel like he. he we never got to see it on screen, but I was kind of hoping that at some point they would figure out the fact that they would have, that they all would have probably been dead eventually if they hadn't left him. And as far as my thoughts on the crew, um, I wouldn't, they definitely weren't particularly fleshed out. And I wouldn't say that they were exactly caricatures, but I feel like each each one had their thing. And yep. that was enough <laughs> to make them interesting for 
to me as a viewer. Like I said, the thing that I was the most interested in was mostly what was happening to Mark Watney on Mars and what what NASA specifically was doing to solve the problem. Um, it was nice to get a little bit of flavor from you know the massive crowds in Times Square, and it was nice to get a little bit of flavor from the crew that is going to to you know that's feeling bad about it and then trying to save him. And I appreciated it then as they came in and did more towards the end of the film. Um, then I was more interested in in what they were doing, but I didn't need any more ca- uh, characterization or backstory on any of them. I felt like that probably would have just dragged things down. It was all about the motion movie. in this film for me. Yeah, I agree long. with you, Erica. Although I, the the one I, I thought they were, I thought the characters were written well enough for what the movie needed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one actor I didn't think fit the role was Jessica Chastain. I. Would I think I would have yes. liked someone a little older and a little more grizzled? Um, I thought that she was just a little too a little too young and glamorous, a little too Star Trekky for the for the role. I was okay um, with I, that. It was her performance that kind of she seemed so not self assured, which was not what I would expect from the leader of of a mission. I I, yeah. I don't know if why they if that characterization is simply because she's a woman and she's on screen and we expect women to act that way. But I don't expect a woman to act that way when she's in charge of a life and death mission on Mars. So that was a little iffy for me. Lewis comes across as tougher in the book. She seems completely competent. I I think what I would say is the movie really wants us, and this is to give her also to give her an angle and an arc the movie really wants us to feel her guilt about this and mm-hmm. i gotta say if you imagine like apollo 13 or something like that right they're gonna feel bad but they're also going to realize that they did everything they could and that they all signed up for this knowing it was dangerous and that their chief job is to get home and so i i, I look at that and think i and and i don't think it's because it's a woman character, but I think it is that the movie needed her to be tormented in a way that I think a real astronaut wouldn't be. I think they would be more professional and they'd be mm-hmm. like, you know, I feel really bad about this. And now yeah. I'm really glad that he's not dead, but we did everything we needed to. And now we've got the opportunity to go back and save him. Of course, we're all going to volunteer because we're astronauts. I don't think they needed guilt and, and remorse. <laughs> there was that famous uh, Mercury uh, 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 Gemini spacewalk uh, where I can't remember who was the commander, but uh, I think Ed, Ed White was doing the spacewalk, and uh, the, the the commander who was who was uh, in the, sitting in the spacecraft. There was an interview later on where he's uh, when he, twenty years later he's talking about how you know it, the 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 his orders from NASA in training were to if if Ed if Ed White like suffocates or something and dies at the end of the umbilical cord to do the best he can to like reel the body in and like and and, and bring the body home. And he said later on that yeah I had no intention of ever doing that because you know there's no there's it, for for me to rescue him even as a as a dead body i'm gonna he's i mean he's in a pressurized suit i'm gonna have to it's hard to get into the spacecraft even on land when the when you've got a living when you're a living person so what am i gonna do am i gonna try to re-enter with this with him dragging behind me no i would die i would probably try to asphyxiate i would probably overheat and asphyxiate trying to get him back in the spacecraft it would have been just 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 as you said it would have been terrible i would have felt horrible about it but i 
I would have had no problem cutting them loose mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then shutting yeah. the catch and going back. And they, they started in on, on that characterization of her like at the beginning, before she even had any guilt, when they were trying to decide whether or not they should abandon the hab and scrub the mission. She was that was the, the first moment that I had a problem with her character because she was so indecisive and showed it. I I don't have a problem yeah. with the character being indecisive. I have a problem with the commander of a mission showing how indecisive they are before they make their decision. If they had shown her as being a little more overtly ambitious or posterity conscious, I could have almost bought that because, you know, she would have gone down as the first commander to lose somebody on a Martian mission. And if there was an element of stung pride and and um, I don't want to be associated as a histor- as an historic failure, I would have understood her motivation a little bit better. But like, I concur with everyone that she was kind of the least steely minded of everybody on that mission. And she was the one leading it for him. Like yeah. the only time her character really redeemed herself was when she, she's like, well, how long until we meet Watney as he hurtled through space in his convertible. And they're like 37 minutes. She's like, well, we have 37 minutes to solve this problem. Let's work it. And I was like, okay, freaking finally. You yeah. Know? <laughs> no, they don't, they don't put, they don't people put people who did their like that in charge of space yeah. missions like this. But I think no. the movie wanted us to, I, I get yeah. why the movie does it, but um, I, I didn't, I didn't really like it. And I, I kind of wanted it to be, I wanted it to be like when, uh, like when uh, Tom Hanks says Jim Lovell says, we just lost the moon, right? It's that moment <laughs> of like, we spent, you know, a year getting here and it's going to take a year to get back. And we're supposed to be here for 30 days and we have to leave right now. And that's terrible, but we have to do it. We just have to do it. And it's terrible. And let's just move on to the next thing. I want to, I want to see the disappointment I can, I can see, but to, to waver and then to beat yourself up when you know you did everything you possibly could, it, it yeah, that, that, that part I could have done without. It's a fine Jessica Chastain performance because like yeah. she does, she does indecisive and frail and, and dithery and woman finding her way. Like that's kind of her stock and trade and she does very good jobs with it and everything I've seen, but it would have been nice if they had had somebody cast in that role who would have not been indecisive so much as they were like, I made a bad call and I'm still trying to live with it. And I don't know how to, because I haven't been trained for this. Like we've talked this whole podcast about, you know, the the right stuff and the astronaut mentality and and things like that. And it would have been a more interesting story for that character. If it had been somebody who was like, I can't live with this decision I've made. And I I don't have the tools to do this because it's simply outside of the toolbox that NASA has given me. Sure. You know, I would have liked to have seen that as opposed to, you know, delicate feelings, shading into guilt and all that. Yeah. You know, and again, Jessica Chastain's a fine actress. I'm not sure she was the right actress for this role. I thought she was okay in – I, you know, I think she did exactly what needed to be done with the part as it, as it was written. Um, and I think she maybe could have done a perfectly fine job if they had made, made that character a little more steely. But they uh, – until the end, they didn't. So um, what else – we've been we've been talking for a while now i'm just curious if there are if there are subjects this is the wild card round are there the, things we haven't talked ending. about that the, we should the, talk about the ending the ending, how, how, the, ending. How, the ending all right I, that's that's the one the, the two things i really didn't like about it because there's a i liked it i liked about how in the book there's a point at which uh watney has been doing nothing but he's completely 100 percent responsible for his own survival and everything but now there's a point where he just has to sit and trust his crewmates and hope that everything works out okay the the idea a the idea of having to make him um, an active 
part of the his own rescue. I don't I don't think it's as powerful as just letting him like after after what was like the after several years of not having to trust anybody else but himself to let go and trust that things are going to that people are going to take care of things. That would have been a little bit more tense and a little bit more interesting. And then the idea of we I'm not a, I'm not a scientist, so I can't say whether the science up to that point was accurate or not. People the, that I've heard talk about this who do know what they're talking about speak very positively about it, though I haven't heard Neil deGrasse Tyson. So he's I'm still waiting for him to be the party pooper. But <laughs> the job. but the idea of, oh, I know I'll puncture my suit like Iron Man and I'll be able to direct myself. And mm. then like this getting tangled up in this huge tether and not dying <laughs> horribly because you're now hopelessly tangled and you can't actually do anything. Those are the things. Unfortunately, you, you can't make a big mistake like in the last 10 minutes of a movie because in 10 minutes you're back at your car and you've got a 45-minute drive home to think about how much you didn't buy those two things. Was that yeah. in the book? Was the Iron Man thing in the book at all? It was not. It was, it not. was not. Uh, and, I'm and, not and, surprised. No. It felt so Hollywood. Exactly yeah. the yep. word I was looking yeah. for. Yeah, and I mean, I was I was okay with it, just you know, because by that time I was so pumped up with the adrenaline of thinking <laughs> he's going to get saved. But I I think in retrospect, I would have liked it better. Um, the way Andy said it, with without that Hollywood moment and and seeing a, more of a, a character based moment. Yeah, I, I would too. I really I really don't don't care for that scene in the movie and I mean, can you imagine if it goes wrong and you you know you you last on mars for so long eating potatoes grown in poop and then you die 40 yards from the ship that would really be a different movie at that point <laughs> would have been, it, it, would, it would have been a werner herzog movie yeah yeah <laughs> yes yeah, but everybody just files out of the room silently mm-hmm. and gets in their cars weeping <laughs> uh, but, but, it, but it is but it is all manipulated to give us that hollywood ending with matt damon rescued by jessica chastain and redeeming jessica herself chastain in the process having her yeah. redemption yeah. Moment. Yeah. and it's not and it's not her in the book and mm-hmm. it's not yeah, there's no tether in the book. It's no. it's it's it is yeah. a it is a pure doc, right? Yeah, no, it works out much much better in the book. And then there's a whole passage about how he hasn't showered in a year. Yeah, but there there is. Yeah, you're right. This is the this is the Hollywood. Uh, whether it's the executives or whether it's Ridley Scott, it, it, it's a meeting where they said, "Oh, we need it to be more exciting than that." The amazing thing about this movie, though, is that for all for all of my complaints with that last with those last ten minutes, Hollywood did surprisingly little damage to the book. Yeah, this is true. They kept in the good stuff. And, and and actually improved on the book. Well, I won't say that, but they take out a couple of the crisis moments that uh, Watney has on his way from the Hab to the Mav. And it wouldn't have added anything to the movie to have those scenes back in there because it would have been just two more crises to overcome and the movie would have been just way too long i don't know if they were shot i don't know if there's going to be a peter jackson version of this <laughs> on blu-ray it's 12 hours long it's it's yeah exactly it's long but it's long i didn't miss those moments too much i didn't miss the fact that he he loses he loses contact with earth and there's the whole like how is he going to drive around i mean literally part of the book the is dust, he drives around a dust storm and yeah. it's like th- there is a point in the movie where they quite wisely say okay, this is the most exciting stuff that happens. We're going to get to the end where he's in the rocket. And we're going to say eight months to pass and he's gotten there. And 
I think that was a good call because I feel like the pace of this movie is very good where uh, he's got one problem after another and they leave to that conclusion. And honestly, if they had done the driving around the dust storm thing, I would have been so frustrated. I'd be like, yeah, get, just get to it. So, And they did that. I, I think they made made many, many very good decisions in how to tell a 220 story from a, from out of a book. You got to think about how this book was written, where it was serialized, where really every chapter he wrote pretty much had to be a short story in and of itself that ends with a big, big punch and gives you something to wait for for the next chapter. And that's certainly not going to work when you're you got an audience that's going to be sitting there for two hours for two hours seeing the entire thing from start to finish. I, I love the I love the dust storm stuff in the book because it showed off not just how his his intestinal fortitude, but he is a damn smart son of a gun to figure out how, how do I figure out where the dust storm is coming from. Well, I'll lay out these solar solar panels. In the in a, in a specific grid, and then calculate how much dust, how much uh, by by how much dust is settling on each one of them, and what the, therefore how much energy is being produced by each one of them. I can figure out what direction is coming from. That's not a that's not a really easy thing to communicate visually. So yeah, it was a good no. good stuff to skip. I think I think the movie improves the book as well in the sort of the, some of those chapters really get bogged down in technical detail and. And that that's fun to read in the book. Even in the book, though, there are a couple of chapters. I'm like, ah, come on, like let's get let's get going <laughs> again. But uh, you you can't you can't do that in, in a film, right? You you can't have 20 minutes explaining the uh, the intricate de- details of this or that, and they they, they gloss over that at, at parts in, in the movie. I think that's a fine trade off. Hmm. I really hope that both the book and the movie start getting incorporated into high school and middle school curricula. Where you totally know, because you think about swear words intact. Yeah, because you think about the the, the all, basically all of the chemistry experience and all the physics calculations that casually get done, and it would be just such a great way to to pull people in and say, oh, you think this has no application in real life? Well, you know, let's let's work the problem like these guys did. Let's see if the math in the book like people like nothing more than trying to prove science fiction writers wrong when it comes to the science and the tech. And like, this is just a great educational opportunity for teachers to go, okay, let's see if they did their homework and and have the kids work it out and then write the author to tell them whether or not they're right or wrong. I think that's one of the two reasons that the book and movie have been so popular. Um, You know, people, people are, there's a lot of interest in STEM education. There's a lot of, um, you know, and, and this is, this is, science-based problem solving that is compulsively readable and watchable so there's that there's also with at the risk of getting a little political it's this is a time when a lot of people in the u.s um in particular are feeling depowered and depersonalized and at the mercy of forces beyond their control um governments governments choosing their voters instead of voters choosing their governments and things like that and here we have a story about one guy in an impossible situation where the environment is entirely unforgiving he has no help it's a no-win situation and he manages to win um and i think that that's just that that that's a that's myth for our time stuff i think well and and showing you know why this is this is also Instead of reminiscing about the, the Apollo program, right? This is look at where we could be going. And I think sending the message of like, this is where our space program is trying to take us. And it, we would get there a lot faster if it was funded, by the way. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that perhaps that, you know, this, this is why we do this. This is this indomitable spirit of exploration that, you know, it, it, that, that spending money on space is, uh, 
is not throwing the money down the drain. And these are the, you know, these are the sort of reasons. And yes, this was an accident and it was all that. But we all pulled together and people cared and it brought the world together. And wouldn't that be, isn't this a way for us as humanity to, uh, to move forward into the future? You know, it's, it, it definitely has that, that, uh, that optimistic streak in spades. And that's one of the great things about it. And it satisfies your rugged individualist's and your collectivists, because yes. it's a combination of Matt Damon's survival <laughs> skills, which are rugged individualism, and, and and NASA working together to help, and the Hermes crew working together to solve the problem. Yeah. Using science because science is important. Yes, they work the problem. Everybody mm-hmm. works it in their own way. I love it. Religion too. He he. Martinez's crucifix was a very important role. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Shredding right. it so as you can use it to set things on fire was. Yeah, uh, that was actually a very nice scene. Where it's like, yeah. You wouldn't mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like I know this is terrible, but I, I have to do this to survive. And I thought that was a, a sweet little 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 moment. All right, well, I think we have uh, reached the end of our time together talking about the Martian. But we but we all liked it, right? We all liked it. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I know I yes. sounded quite lukewarm about a number of things, but <laughs> but for but for all that, I really really enjoyed the movie. I mean, I gave it a big thumbs up, and and I and I I liked it. So I don't want anybody to to think I'm too grumpy about it. Yeah. Well, it's my favorite. It's my favorite movie of the year so far. Yeah, I really I really liked it, and I thought it honored the book. And um, Erica, uh, I commend I I still commend the book to you if you enjoyed yeah. this. Mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it's a real page turner. I was planning on reading it anyway. After hearing what you guys had to say about it, I am even more uh, excited to read it. I read it in one night. Like, I stay up until 2.30 in the morning to read it. And since <laughs> right. I love, I'm not, I, I love okay. my sleep. So you know <laughs> I had I'm to be not, good if I love I'm my sleep. I'm not going to start it right now. Then. No, no. Like, clear, clear, clear some time on your schedule. Get a snack. You'll get really hungry while you're reading it, too. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> For potatoes. Potatoes. Not potatoes. Mm, I love I got, potatoes. I, 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 was just, I was just really – I'm just still really curious about how um, – like, if you didn't read the book, did it all make sense to you? And if you, uh, and how? What's the experience like? If you, of course, you can't avoid seeing the trailers. Like, like I said at the top of the show, I was really, really lucky. I, 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 I truly knew nothing about the story. For all I knew, it was about a magical cult of Martians that mm-hmm. <laughs> are are in Dallas, Fort Worth, and start a, a a dry goods business. I had no idea. And so the first page was a was magic. And I still remember uh, after chapter after chapter after chapter of it's just first person narrative, and then. I you know flip the page on my on my Kindle and now we're we're back on Earth and where I'm hearing other voices and I'm like what the hell and then the first page where they figure out they're he's alive I almost in the middle of the coffee shop was like doing a fist pump like yes uh-huh. he's, there's a possibility he's gonna make it uh, so I, I'm really curious to see what what it's like to see that movie knowing that knowing what the story is about and also not having that really deep narrative of here's everything that's going I'm going to explain it to you step by step by step. Well, I saw it with Phil. <laughs> I managed to avoid. I did manage to avoid the trailers. I knew that Matt Damon was in it, so I knew he was an astronaut and he was going to be on Mars. But that was pretty much all I knew. Um, I I didn't have any trouble following anything, and I I maybe didn't get quite the same level of discovery, but I I enjoyed it uh, all fresh and new quite a bit. My boss is the superintendent of a urban school district, and I pushed him to see the movie, and he went in cold, and he thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, my 13-year-old went to see the movie, um, but um, I showed him the trailer, and it got his attention so quickly, I saw an opportunity and seized it, and I pushed the book in front of him. He devoured the book in like three days, 
and he saw he thought the movie was his favorite movie of all time. Well, I chose to plight my trust to somebody who never reads science fiction and yep. would probably <laughs> and, and would probably make it like that's probably part of his moral code by this point. And um you know, he tagged along with the nerd posse, and Phil had no problem whatsoever uh, following the story, and he enjoyed the movie, and his only criticism was he felt the disco diffused the tension. He would have liked it if he had been so tense that his shoulders were up near his ears by the end of it, because it's, you know, it's... No, I know, that was my... That was my, I was like, nope, but... Um, and you could actually make the argument that the disco and the diffusing tension is precisely how astronauts keep from snapping in situations like this. <laughs> but so. um, but no, Phil's biggest complaint was he thought it needed more tension. And um, But other than that, he's like, it was a ripper good story. He liked the ending even. Um, he liked all the sequences. Um, he thought Matt Damon did a fine job. And he's never, gonna, he's never going to read the book. But he was like, look, it's a decent movie. You yeah. Know? yeah, I think so. I think, it's uh, basically a submarine movie set right in on. space. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And one real quick le- drive-by. Mm-hmm. Yep. 3D. It was actually a really good 3D movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched it in 2D. I do the 2D if I can. I the Dust Storm is amazing. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. I was so thirsty through the whole movie, though. And, <laughs> well, I didn't dare get anything to drink because I didn't want to have to leave and go to the bathroom halfway yeah. through. So I went in with, like, no food and no drink, and I was just so thirsty the whole time. It's like when every time I watch Lawrence of Arabia, I always have to have, like, a glass of water oh, next to yes. me. So. Oh, so dusty, so dry and dusty on Mars. Very dry, very dry. But you're, you're absolutely right. I, the 3D works because it's used to provide depth. It doesn't send anything out into your face. Hmm. Exactly. All right, let me. Uh, we're going to wrap it up, but I want to thank everybody for seeing the movie again. Very rare that we do the see it in theaters, and it's a scheduling nightmare. And this was a scheduling nightmare too, but we made it happen. <laughs> and you eventually, worked the problem, Jason. We, we, I worked the problem. That's right. Thank you, Lisa. That's right. Like a like a podcasting astronaut, <laughs> I worked the problem. So we saw it, and I'm glad we and I'm glad we talked about it. Uh, so I would like to thank my guests now. That's all that's left for me to do. Andy and Ako, thank you. Jason, you are a steely-eyed missile man. Thank you very much. <laughs> Chip Sutter, thank you. I'm going to go listen to my ABBA vinyl now. <laughs> well said. Erica Ensign, thanks for being here. Thank you. I was I was going to go and have some uh, some Vicodin on my potatoes, and then I remembered I'm in Canada. We don't have Vicodin yeah, here. Just drink some water. <laughs> yep. And Lisa Schmeiser, thank you. I'm stunned by the news. Canada doesn't have Vicodin. You people have codeine near Tylenol. How can you not have Vicodin? <laughs> oh, I know. We've got I've got codeine all over the place in this house right now. But yeah, no Vicodin. They have limits. They have limits. It's because of all the codeine. They can't have okay. more Vicodin. <laughs> and uh, Stephen Hackett, thank you for joining us. It was nice to hear your voice. I'm glad there wasn't a 14 minute delay between. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Not this time. Nicely done. Maybe next time. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to The Incomparable. We'll see you next week. Music's over, and yet you stayed. And so, I just want to tell you, there are some other podcasts at The Incomparable you might want to check out. Total Party Kill is in the midst of its Shocktober special, a four-episode weekly series throughout the month of October with new characters and a new storyline, so if you've wanted to try it out, maybe this is the time. 
The Incomparable Radio Theater continues. It's going on through December, so check that out, theincomparable.com slash radio. We have added Joe Steele and Dan Sturm's Defocused podcast, where two guys who actually work in the movie industry talk about movies, uh, and it's a lot of fun. So check that out, theincomparable.com slash defocused. And we recently added a compilation of all of the conversations Mike Hurley has with me and with Casey Liss about movies when we're on our tech podcast. So if you don't listen to the tech podcasts or you haven't listened to those segments, you should check it out. It's called Mike at the Movies at theincomparable.com slash M-Y-K-E, because that's how you spell Mike. And you can also find all of these things on iTunes in the podcast app that you're using right now. And we're all fine podcasters sold. Thanks.